0: Here are uh, our lessons for today. This comes from Romans 10. The message is very close at hand. It is on your lips and in your heart, and that message is the very message about faith that we preach. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As the scripture tells us, anyone who trusts in Him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the word of the Lord. Our second reading comes from Luke 4. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River, and he was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. For he was tempted by the devil for forty days where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all that time and became very hungry. Then the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all of the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and the authority over them, the devil said. Because they are mine to give to anyone I please, I will give it all to you if you will worship me. Jesus replied, The scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem to the highest point of the temple and said, If you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say... He will order his angels to protect and guard you, and they will hold up your hands, and you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. When the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. This is the gospel of Christ.
1: For the 40 days of Lent, the people of God, the church of God, um, for 40 days uh, gives up and sacrifices in order to symbolically enter into the suffering of Christ. We give up things in our life in order to point us toward Jesus. Lent, um, The best description I've heard, I love this, it says, Lent is where we leave the land of plenty in order to wander around in the desert preparing ourselves for Easter. I love that. Lent is leaving the land of the plenty in order to wander around in the desert in order to prepare ourselves for Easter. And so... Um It's fitting that we would begin the Lenten season with this story of Jesus in the wilderness from Luke chapter 4. But before we dive into Luke 4 today, we need to take a peek back at Luke chapter 3. So just a few verses before what's happening, what Stan just read us in Luke chapter 3, it it sort of lays the foundation for for where Luke chapter 4 goes. Our text today, it doesn't really begin with Jesus starving alone in the wilderness. What happens right before it, I think, matters greatly. Uh, at the end of Luke chapter 3, we have this amazing moment where Jesus is standing in the river and he's being baptized by John the Baptist, and this incredible thing happens. The Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove, and then the voice of God, a voice from heaven, cries out This is my dearly loved Son with whom I am pleased. It's like the best moment. Jesus in the river, the Holy Spirit like a dove, and the voice of God saying, This is my dearly loved Son with whom I am well pleased. I don't think that uh, we can look deeply into Jesus in the wilderness without first talking about Jesus in the river. Jesus in the river is just as important. Jesus in the river listening to the affirming proclamation of his father, my son, whom I love, the NLT translated, my son whom I love and who brings me great joy it's beautiful. So Jesus, he's baptized and he's commissioned by God within the deep love of the father. It's this amazing moment in the river. And then the next place he finds himself is in the wilderness. That contrast is so stark. And I think it's worth us taking note of. Uh, Our text today said that he was led by the spirit into the wilderness. Um, But the word led is not a very good translation here in the NLT. Um, Most translations use the word led. But if you go back to the original language, um, the original language is a lot stronger than the word led. It actually means, um, uh, more like to drive or to like physically force someone to do something. So maybe a better translation would be the spirit of God pushed Jesus into the wilderness. He goes from the river and then he's pushed into the wilderness. Which, if you've ever had some sort of desert or wilderness experience in your life, and my hunch is if you've followed Jesus for any time at all, then you have. Um, If you ever have experienced the wilderness, then you know in your bones that pushing is a far better translation than leading. We are far more often pushed than we are led into the wilderness. Uh, Jesus ministry it begins with the spirit of God pushing me in the wilderness and then um, and I think that that is sometimes really shocking to us like it seems very strange to us that that Jesus goes from this river moment into this I, I think I've always wondered what do you do with this 40 days of Jesus and the devil like all of Jesus ministry is about life and putting things back together and and there's food more food than anyone can eat and there's more life than anyone can live and then we have this 40-day period of starvation and death And so I think it's sometimes weird and shocking to read about this and to think about Jesus. Uh, But if you spend any time in the scriptures at all, then um, you've probably noticed that if people do great things in the scriptures, if they do great things with God, they always end up in the wilderness. They always end up there. You would be hard-pressed to find anyone in the Bible who hasn't had to go to the desert at some point in time. Moses and Joseph, Jonah, Noah, Ruth, uh, Joshua, David, Paul, John. Maybe not the literal desert, but some sort of literal or figurative wilderness kind of land. Everyone uh, that does anything mighty in in the scriptures has some form of wilderness in their story. And it's not just the Bible; that's that's all throughout history. The heroes of our faith—they have these wilderness stories. Uh, to me, one of the most captivating is—I um, I think Mother Teresa is fascinating—and and she has this this wilderness, this dark night of the soul, this this wilderness experience that that's confusing and, and captivating. It's, it's the heroes of our faith; they 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 have these stories, these wilderness stories. And I think the reason is. Um, The reason this is true, the reason that the people of God spend time in the desert and time in the wilderness is because there are some things that God can do with us and teach us in the wilderness that just can't be learned in the river, right? There's so much to take from the river and there's so much to be learned in the river, but there are things that God can do with us in the wilderness that just aren't possible standing in the river with the Holy Spirit descending descending on us like a dove, The wilderness experiences, they are wildly important to our formation as followers of Jesus. I heard this this week um, and it was striking to me. It said this, if we were to take the desert or wilderness stories out of the Bible, there wouldn't be a story left to tell. If we were to take the wilderness out of Moses' story, Moses' story wouldn't exist. If we were to take the wilderness out of Ruth's story, Ruth's story doesn't exist. Paul's story doesn't exist. If we were to take all the wilderness and all of the desert out of everyone's story, then the story no longer exists. And that's hard to imagine sometimes because those aren't the times in life that we are particularly fond of. I don't know about you. I mean, not like... The actual forest, but like those dry wilderness times, we're always trying to get out of them. Um, but but it's, it what's interesting to me as, as we look at Jesus and as we kind of look back over the scriptures, uh, we find that even the wilderness lives under the kindness and the design of the unrelenting God, that God whose love we just sang about it that that has this reckless reckless love for us. The wildernesses in our lives, the deserts in our lives, they they live under His good design. They live within his kindness and love for us. We are all at one time or another, uh, maybe multiple times in our lives, led or pushed into the desert. Now, on that note, we can also be honest and say that uh, we can also end up in the wilderness and the desert on our own by our own dumb choices, right? Like uh, sometimes you end up in a desert or you end up in some sort of wilderness because we are dumb and we are selfish and we willingly walk our way into it. I have loads of stories. I've had to cut those for time. Uh, (laughs) But they exist. They exist in all of us. We have these stories where we do stupid things and we end up all alone right? That's absolutely a thing. But, but the kind of wilderness I want to talk about today is the kind that God leads us into. God, he brings his people through the wilderness to say things that don't make sense in the river. The wilderness, uh, it's where we learn about God's providence, where we discover his means of grace, just how far he will go to be gracious to us. The wilderness is, is where we wake up to the long and mercy marked path that we have been carried on all throughout our lives in ways that the river just can't explain. And so by God's good design, Jesus is led into the most desolate place, a place where he would deal with his vulnerabilities and deal with his weaknesses, uh, both of which he had. Jesus had vulnerability and he had, N.T. Wright is, uh, he gets quoted a lot. He's one of my favorite theologians. And and he wrote a series of of commentaries called For Everyone. So if you're ever looking like, oh, I wish I could read the Bible and then read a book that would explain what it actually said, These are great ones. They're called for everyone. So in the Luke for everyone, when N.T. Wright writes about this particular passage in Luke 4, the first sentence he has says, Jesus is not Superman. Jesus is not Superman, and sometimes we think that, that um, we, we focus so much on the fully God piece that we forget about the fully man piece. Jesus walks into the desert, and he, he doesn't eat for 40 days, and that leaves you physically weak and physically vulnerable, and in God's good design, he, he ends up there in the desert to deal with, weak, with the weak and the vulnerable uh, within and outside of him. And then it's there in the desert uh, that the voice of the devil begins to speak, right? Which is always creepy to read in the Bible. You know, like it's always creepy. And the devil's always quoting scripture, which is even more confusing, right? So it's here that the devil begins to speak. The, the word Satan that's used in our text today, um, the, the more literal translation of that word is adversary, it's a, it's a personal, spiritual, physical adversary, a personal, spiritual, physical thing that, that comes against you uh, with the sole purpose of destruction. And so Jesus, he's led into the desert and someone, something is waiting on him. This, this, this being of destruction, not necessarily that, you know, like, I feel like sometimes we think of the devil or we don't think of him at all. If you're like me, um, or you think of him and it's like the little red picture and the horns and the whatever. And, um, if you've read much of C.S. Lewis, C.S. Lewis says that the, it's almost like the devil tries to make himself cute. So we don't know how powerful his wake of destruction is. That's what's waiting for Jesus in the desert. Barbara Brown Taylor is an Episcopal priest. I think she's brilliant. She says it this way. She says, it's only the wilderness if there's something there to eat you. And so Jesus goes into the wilderness and something is waiting to eat him. So Jesus, his time in the desert begins with 40 days of fasting while Satan tempts him. And then it's when the fasting is over and he's totally starving that Satan gets serious about his business. Satan, the adversary is well aware of the weak and vulnerable in Jesus in this moment. And it's no different for us in our wilderness seasons. We do well to be aware that uh, when we have entered the wilderness, but we also do well to be aware uh, what business we have there because our adversary certainly knows why we're there. He certainly knows what we're there to do. Our weaknesses and vulnerabilities are not hidden from him. So my hope is, in our time together, I want to answer three questions as we talk about the wilderness. The first one is, how do we know when we're there? How do we know when we're in the desert? The second, what happens when we, when we get there? What happens when we're in there? And the third is, what's the point of it? Why does it matter? So the first question, uh, how do we know when we're in the wilderness? It feels both simple and complex. How do you know when you're in the desert? My first answer is like, oh, You know. <laughs> you know. <laughs> You absolutely know. We know we're in the wilderness. Uh, and there's a, here's a more complex answer. We know we're in the wilderness uh, when we find ourselves in the most desolate place. When our weaknesses and our vulnerabilities are on wide display. When they're harder to push down and harder to hide. Uh to be honest, the desert feels different for everyone. What I, I could describe my experience to you, and it wouldn't necessarily feel the same as your experience. Uh, it's sort of tailored for our own being. It's different. Um, for some of us, the wilderness feels like a season of spiritual disillusionment. Of I don't know if any of this even matters. Uh, For some of us, our our wilderness feels like a wrestling through a crisis of our own identity or maybe our own faith. Who am I? I don't even know who I am anymore. And if I don't know who I am, who in the heck is God? And what does he have to do with anything? For others of us, um, our our seasons of wilderness uh, or or desert, they feel like the frustration of, of love that isn't returned or unfailing relationships that make us feel incredibly lonely. It's a season of loneliness. Deserts, they are places when God doesn't feel close and his voice feels impossibly hard to find. They're the places and the seasons in our life when we feel hopeless and we feel paralyzed. The places uh, we question God's presence or we question his goodness or his love or his provision or maybe all four at the same time. I wanna quote Barbara Brown Taylor again because she's smart. She says it this way. Wildernesses come in so many shapes and sizes that the only way you can really tell you are in one is to look around for what you normally count on to save your life and come up empty. No food, no earthly power, no special protection, just a Bible-quoting devil and a whole bunch of sand. That's how we know when we're in the desert. That's how we know when we're in the wilderness, when we look around for what we normally count on to save us, and it is nowhere to be found. We can't find it anywhere. Second question, what happens when we get there? What happens in the desert? Jesus was led into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. I think it's similar for us. We, we listen in these verses to the whisper of the adversary, to the weaknesses and the vulnerabilities of Jesus's human body. He, he, he zeroes in on three things. He tempts Jesus in three ways. Jesus is 40 days hungry, and so Satan tempts him with food. He's 30 years waiting, and Satan tempts him with power. Jesus' birthright is glory, so Satan tempts him with splendor. And I think all three of these temptations are really similar to us. We are lured and tempted by very similar things. We too are lured and tempted by our appetites and our desires. Uh, What that means, we hear how Jesus, you know, Satan says, "Make this stone turn to bread." And what Jesus says is, "Man shall not live on bread alone." And I think what He's saying there is that we have this tendency within us to take the good things of God, things like bread, which it's delicious. Sorry, celiac folks. Cornbread's fine too. Bread, it's delicious. It's this good thing of God. And we take this good thing and we make it an ultimate thing. That's it. When we're lured by our appetites and our desires, we make the good things of God into ultimate things in our life. Things like food and sex and money and privilege Bread, it's not innately sinful, but the risk of it is that we take the good things and we make them the ultimate things. Uh, we also have this, this desire uh, to, to replace the, the best parts of God with what we think are the best parts of earth. It's making the good things the ultimate things. The second thing is, is we're also tempted with power, aren't we? We're we're tempted, we we live our lives, especially as Americans, we live our lives as as addicts of approval and appreciation of other people. We do. We want to be liked, we want to be known, we want to be seen, we, we want to be successful, and we want people to notice that. Like we are addicted to the approval and the appreciation of others. And in the same way, that's, that's one way that we desire power. In the same way, we also um, want control over our lives. We want control uh, to protect ourselves. We want control to promote ourselves. And we are tempted with splendor. That's the most confusing one, I think, of the whole mix. Um, what that means is uh, splendor we can replace with stuff. We're tempted with stuff. To be human is to want stuff. That's like innate in us. I know why? We all want stuff because our birthright, we were created to, to long for glory. We were meant for glory. It is our birthright, but it is also our weakness. It's also our weakness. A favorite preacher of mine is named Ashley Matthews, and she says it like this. We aren't sure how to steward our splendor. We aren't sure how to steward our glory, so we just turn our eyes to stuff. That's it. In the wilderness, we will be tempted with pleasure and with power and with splendor. All good things that all have a shadow side. And when these desires meet our own woundedness, then they have potential to destroy us, right? Good things don't, don't destroy us on their own. It's when our good things are met with our own woundedness, our own weakness, our own vulnerabilities. And it's in that point that they have potential to ruin us. And this is something Satan knows. It's absolutely something Satan knows. And then there's one more thing I think that looms in the desert. Out. There's temptation, but I think one more thing looms, and that's doubt. If Satan can get Jesus to doubt who he is and who God is, all of his plans will work. Do you see that? In each sentence, if Satan can get Jesus to doubt his own birthright, then his plans work. If he can get Jesus to doubt the goodness and the love that the Father uh, instilled in him and has for him, then all of his plans will work if he can whisper in the doubt of God being with us and for us and relentlessly loving us, then he can crack a foundation and then blow over a house. Here's the thing. Doubt is inevitable. It's just in all of us. It just is. Doubt isn't a sin. It's not a sin to doubt. It's part of the human experience. It's just part of being a human being, not sinful. But, but doubt is also something that makes us vulnerable, right? Right? It makes us weaker and it makes us more vulnerable. When we doubt, we are particularly susceptible to destruction and to ruin. We all have doubts. And so my advice as your your pastor is, have them. You all have doubts and and maybe some of you grew up hearing that doubts are wrong and you you should stuff them down and pretend like they're not there. I think that leaves you extremely vulnerable. Don't do that, have them, have your doubts. But it is wise that you fight like you've never fought in order to redeem them. Have them and then fight to redeem them, chase them, and chase the things that can reform them and chase the things that can renew them. That's wisdom. Wisdom isn't stuffing them down and pretending they're not there. Wisdom is chasing them to their logical ends. Maybe not always logical, to their spiritual ends. And then number three, what's the point What's the point of the desert? Uh, here's something that's not lost on me: um, in each moment of vulnerability, Jesus finds power in his weakness. Every time Satan comes at him and, and quotes a scripture, Jesus comes right back and like quotes another one that actually gives frame for the first one. In each moment of his vulnerability, Jesus finds power in his weakness. For Jesus, uh, the desert is not simply a place of desolation. It's not simply a place of temptation. It is also a place of strength. It's a place of great strength. The desert is a wild place where the mercy and grace and providence of God is on active display in his life. Uh, Frederick Bigner says, Jesus goes uh, into the desert to discover what it means to really be Jesus. I love that. He goes to the desert to discover what it means to really be Jesus. Depending on how we handle our own deserts, our own wildernesses, I think that it can be similar for us as well. Deserts can become a place of vulnerability. They are a place of vulnerability and weakness and desolation, but they are also a place to discover who Jesus truly is and also to discover who we really are, who we really are in him. Jesus is led to the desert within God's good design, and often I think we are too. I think that there's a goodness and a kindness of God to lead us into those places, and, and sometimes that's crazy to think, <coughs> uh, because deserts get really dark. I don't know what your seasons of wilderness have been like, um, but for mine, they have been really dark, And so it's crazy for us to think that God intentionally leads us into the darkness. But I think the point of that is because the darkness has never been the end of the story. It's never once been the end of our story. Just because the darkness has a way of settling in the wilderness does not mean that the wilderness is how our story ends. Uh, Verse 1 in the text that we read tells us that Jesus started his journey into the wilderness full of the Spirit of God. And if you read one verse further than we did today, verse 14 in Luke 4, then, then it says that he ends his time in the wilderness filled with the power of the Spirit of God. We can choose for the wilderness to be for us what it has always meant to be, what it has always existed to be. I heard it said this week that all throughout the scriptures, when we see times of darkness settling in on the people of God, it's this poetic and symbolic way that the scriptures tell us that something is dying, but something new is coming. That's what it's always been meant to be. The darkness, it comes right before God makes a covenant with Abraham. The darkness, it comes it comes to the Israelites right before Moses is about to lead them out of Egypt. The darkness, it comes in the seconds, in the three days, and then the seconds before Jesus is resurrected. In the scriptures, darkness always comes right before the dawn. Darkness always comes before something new is made. And we enter into the wilderness, into the darkness of our own lives with the same spirit that Jesus did. The same spirit that three years later after this moment would raise him from the dead. That's the spirit that we walk in. That's the spirit that we we enter into. We don't go into the wilderness alone. Uh, The work of God in our lives, it is sealed by the spirit of God in our lives. Just because it's dark doesn't mean the spirit of God is no longer with us. Just because it's confusing or there's doubt or temptation doesn't mean that the spirit of God is no longer with us. We don't go alone. As followers of Jesus, we will all eventually end up in the wilderness, and there will be doubt, and there will be temptation, and vulnerability, and darkness, but we are full of the Spirit who stands with us and fights with us for redemption, so there will always be new life on the other side. That's always what's waiting on the other side. We don't go into the wilderness alone, and we don't go into the wilderness for no reason. We aren't alone, and the story of the wilderness is always that God is making a way for new life in us. We go to the desert because God led us there, because Jesus has gone before us. The Spirit goes with us, filling us with power along the way, and I I think that Lent is a perfect picture of this, because the great news is that on the other side of 40 days in the land of desolation is Easter. That's what's just on the other side of this forty days. That's that's what we're le- we're heading toward. It's Easter. The band can come on up. Oh, thanks for being really patient with my cough. Huh. Um. We're going to take a few minutes. We do this every week. We call it Selah. It is just pause that we stole it from the Psalms. It's a a word that means holy pause. Or really, when it's in the Psalms, it says, stop right here. Don't go any further. Be here for a second. And so that's what our hope is in these few minutes, that we'll stop and and be here for a second. And so um, I have some questions. One is, um, are you in a desert? (coughs) And if you are. What is, what's God trying to tell you in the desert that he can't tell you in the river? That's your question. What are you supposed to learn here that, that you can't learn in the river? How is God trying to stretch you or grow you or release you or restore you or rescue you or redeem you? Um, and then I thought of two things. As I was praying, I, I go up on the hill Um, because I can see Church of the Redeemer and I can see our church and so it's really fun to pray for both of us. And so I was praying and I was praying for you and I I said, what do you want us to hear? Like Spirit of God, what do you want us to hear this morning? And here were the two things. That's why I've repeated them 7,000 times. Two things. And I think some of you just need to hear them. And I'm gonna pray for you and then we'll take a few minutes to be quiet. And then um, during and after communion, uh, there, some of us are gonna pray in the back. If this is you, can, I'm, I'm gonna pray for you up front, but like, I would love to like pray with you on this because this feels like a, this feels like a thing. And um, so it's two things I feel like God wanted to say to us and to our people. Here's one, you are not alone in the desert. You may think you are alone, but you are not alone. The Spirit of God goes with you and is for you and has filled you up with His power. You are not alone. And then the second thing is this. Your desert or your wilderness is not the end of your story. It may feel like the end of the story. It may seem like the end of the story. But if there's anything true about what we read and what we talk about, the end of the story is not the dark. The end of the story is not the desert. The end of the story is the river. It is life. It is hope. That's the end. So I want to pray on that. And then we'd love to pray for you in the back too. Um, But we'll take a few minutes to be quiet first. So God. ask you to send your spirit to bring quiet, to bring stillness. I pray that, um, I pray for those of us who um, maybe are in the middle of a desert or middle of a wilderness and um, we feel like we are all alone and like there is no way out. And we're just destined to, to stay here. God, for those of us who feel alone, I pray that you send your spirit of comfort, your spirit of hope, and your spirit of friendship. We remind us that we are not alone. Not only are we not alone, we are full of your power. We have access to your power all the time. And then for those of us who feel like uh, the desert is the end of our story, we remind us, that new light comes after the dark. That dawn always follows the night. That the way out of the dry and the desolate is streams and rivers and oceans and things that are so alive. We remind us that the wilderness is not the whole story and it's not the end of the story. In name we pray. I'm e